0: Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by Australian professional runner and 14th place finisher at the World Champs in the marathon like four days ago, Sarah Klein. If you don't know Sarah, she's a long distance runner who's really been around the scene forever. Um, She went over and ran at college in America, I'm pretty sure. She's been to two World Championships now and and a Commonwealth Games and and yet he's still a name that maybe gets a little lost, Um, particularly now we're in Australia's golden period of female marathon running uh, and even female distance running at this point. Uh, but but after this week, I don't really think that'll be the case as much. Sarah, it's just so awesome to have you on. I'm, I'm a big fan um, and bloody hell, what a what a run from you the other day.
1: Yeah, great. Well, thank you for having me and I'll just make one correction on the Ooh. intro. I didn't go to college. That might have been, there's another Sarah Klein that does Australian athletics. She does the, um, the hurdles, 400 hurdles, I think. Right. So um, it could have been her, but otherwise you got it all Ooh. spot on. I didn't actually um, Google yeah.
0: that. That was off my memory.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I, well, for some
0: reason go. I thought you ran Yeah, I thought you did go to college, but I don't I don't think I'm confusing you for that Sarah Klein. I think I've just got that. I think I've just misremembered that.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well, that's all right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh I pride myself on doing absolutely no research for this for the show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I like it. Back yourself. That's yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that because that's what was written on my hand um, for sort of my mantra going into this last marathon, back yourself. So um, I'm all for that.
0: <laughs> Little different. Like mine's just, yeah, probably doesn't have the same consequences as yours. <laughs> um, hey, I, I think like one of the things I most love hearing about when people go and race big events is is just how things play out. But I think, I think like you get often asked, like, how did the race play out? But, but I like to hear about how did everything play out? Like, how did your week play out the day before the night before the morning before, and then the race itself, obviously. So do you think like we could dive in and and you could tell us about your week and, and the day before and, and just like sort of bring us into what, what the whole experience of racing at the world champs was like for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like that's, and you're right, like it's not just about the race. Um, you know, there's, you could even go further back about the the journey and the campaign leading up to race day for this. It started uh, for me a couple of months ago. But like the week before we were, the Australian team um, had gathered in Seattle for training camp there so I had sort of started my taper two weeks before um, or sort of two weeks before um, race day. And so I found my last week leading up um, running in Seattle and then into Eugene when we came down um, into the Athlete Village. And I always kind of like I'm a bit of a, a routine kind of training person. I do the, you know, my Monday run is always my Monday run and my Tuesday sessions, always my Tuesday session so to pick that up and relocate it elsewhere, even though the work is the same, the, um, the place is different. And so it always just takes a little bit um, in my mind just to adjust um, to that and to um, sort of tune into my body to see how it's feeling, um, given the, the space around is different. Um, but yeah, that last week, it's always that's when I back right off in the kilometres and um it's a real balance I think for endurance athletes when you go into a taper because you sort of get so used to being in this state of fatigue just constant um you know you wake up tired and then you go to bed even more tired and so when you start to freshen up a little bit I sort of feel a little bit lethargic and a little bit lazy in those last few days because you know you're just jogging around and and eating basically and so it, um, it's a bit of a, I find that a bit of a mind game just to try to remind myself of the work that I've done and the fitness that I've got um, so, that, so that I don't sort of, yeah, start doubting the preparation that I've done. Um, but, you know, when we got into Eugene, it's, a, it's, it's not called um, Trap Town for no reason. There's amazing trails, there's the Sea Prefontaine Trail, um and just a like a huge running community so that was really cool to get in and um and to run along some of those trails those last um last couple of days but yeah the day before um or probably two days before I start to um eat a bit more so focus on sort of carb loading um a bit and making sure my body's like really stocked with um nutrients and the fuel that I need um, and then you know the other thing about the athlete village like it's great to be here but there's not a lot going on um and so trying to um yeah entertain yourself but not um think too much about the race because there's nothing um you know there's there's only so much thinking you can do about a running race um beforehand that isn't actually helpful you know you can't do anything about it until you're until the gun goes and so trying to keep occupied is something that I like to um like to make sure that I'm doing um but yeah it was kind of on the morning my alarm went off and went off at what was it about 4 a.m and then it was it was go time like you spend all this time waiting and anticipating and then before you know it you're up and Adam and and off to the start line so yeah it kind of is go slow but then before you know it it's on it's on your doorstep
0: do you struggle to sleep the night before a big race like are you or are you a I i assume like most runners you're probably a pretty early to bed early to get up person particularly with squeezing in around everything else you've got in your life but when you're over there on on race day are you someone who can just put your head on the pillow and fall straight asleep or, or do you struggle with that
1: I'm definitely a go-to-bed-early, get-up-early kind of person. (laughs) Um, But I I think for the marathon, what I sort of say to myself is it's the night before, the night before. um, That is the important night to get a good night's sleep because the night before... Um, You know, you've got to get up so early and I often find myself sort of thinking about is my alarm going to go off is, you know, and just starting to anticipate. So I don't get too caught up with um, whether I've had a good night's sleep the night before or not. It's the one before that, that I try to um, that I try to make sure I do get some some good sleep. But I actually um, when I travel overseas for running. Will take my pillow with me, so um, it's it's going to cost me a bit on the way back. because I've been shopping since, but I think it's worth taking your pillow with you just to help get that um, get that good sleep. Because sort of waking up feeling rested and, and ready to go is um, is how you want to feel. You don't want to you know a sore neck or a sore back, um, and having that play on your mind. So I think it's definitely worth doing that.
0: And then when you said that you like um, the night before the race, you you have to get up early and you find yourself thinking about how the race could unfold. Um, Are you, are you the kind of person who is just having positive thoughts or do you sort of get anxious and worried about how like things could go badly or do you start questioning whether you're even ready? Where's your, where's your brain at when you're laying in bed the night before a race?
1: Yeah, I think that this time around I just really wanted to enjoy the experience and I had, um, it was funny because some of the, like like I said at the beginning, on my hand I had this uh, mantra written on my hand to back myself and that was kind of a, um, I wrote that on my hand this time and it was the result of a couple of uh, messages and conversations that I'd had with people in the weeks in the lead up to this event and those like the theme of those conversations was very much around like you've done the work um, you're you're in the team for a reason you don't need to do anything different your training's done like you you just need to go out there and do what you know how to do and um and hi um go get, get out there and do what you need to do and and so it was actually one of the Australian team captains that said the words back yourself and I was it, it resonated and so um yeah that's sort of that's what I put on my hand and that's they they were the thoughts that I had in my mind um leading into leading into the race so I was I was not confident necessarily like in um that I was going to go out and like smash my PB and do all these amazing things but I was confident in the the training that I'd done and that I was ready um to get out there and and yeah just have a just do my best I wasn't yeah and like I was my I had some family there um my coach was there been a long time coming to be in this situation. Like I remind myself that I I chose this, like trained for this, like this is what I want. And so the you know just enjoy it. That was the just enjoy the occasion and and have confidence in the work that you've done. So they were kind of the the thoughts and the the messages like that I was trying to fill my mind with and not get caught up in you know doubts and and what ifs and if things go wrong sort of thinking.
0: And before we get onto like specifics of the race and, and hearing all about how it unfolded, um, you, you said that you were carb loading leading into the race. Um, when, you, when you say that, how does your, does your diet and, and food intake change in the week leading into a race compared to normal everyday training life?
1: Mm, yeah, I, I like. I try to. Um, I don't do anything drastically different, um, but I do try to focus on consuming um, fuels that are um, used easily by my body. And so things like white bread, um, white rice, um, popcorn. I was having this time around as well. Just those, um, yeah, foods that that will uh, load my body up with energy that can be used readily and like I would have those things in my diet um, you know anyway but at more more balanced I wouldn't have them I wouldn't have the amounts that I was having in the last couple of days um, in the lead up but like I don't really do anything fancy with my diet I just aim for balance um, and that includes the chocolate and ice cream as well um, but yeah it was I had a um tried to have a bit more of the those those white Um, carbohydrate sources in those last couple of days.
0: Yeah. When you say you wouldn't usually have that amount, like how much were you eating in the, in the, in the lead up? How, how drastically did you increase your intake of that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah. Like I was having um, for breakfast, lunch and dinner, I was having carbohydrate source for each of those meals. And I wouldn't usually have carbs or a lot of carbs in, in each of those meals in a regular week. So it was, um, yeah, you sort of, it starts to, and I think that contributes to sort of my feeling of being a little bit lethargic in those days, just because I am, you know, loading up so much on, on the carbs, but, um, yeah, again, it's just one of those thoughts that you've got to not sort of read into the doubt. You've just got to, you know, no, you're just ticking this box. Um, it needs to be done and then, and then, um, you sort of lighten up a
0: little bit during the race. And um, I also am really keen to hear about the build into the race before we talk about the race itself. Um, you mentioned before you have a coach. Um, I'd be curious to know who you're working with at the moment. And then, like, if you could if you could sort of talk to us about your your block welding into, leading into the World Championships and how long it was and, and, and what you were doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, my coach is Peter Swallow, Um and hes we were only just talking about this the other day. He's been my coach for eighteen years now, so we've been working together for for ages. Um, but yeah, we like—I didn't know that I was coming to the World Champs. I, my selection wasn't confirmed until about a month before the race, and so there was a little bit. Um, I knew I was a chance to be coming along, but I wasn't certain until yeah about four weeks before. And so I was training as if I was going to be selected. Um but I didn't know. So there were runs that I was doing, like my Wednesday long runs and my Sunday long runs where, you know, you're on a Sunday you're running for more than two hours. And there were certainly days where I was questioning, you know, why, why am I doing this? Like I haven't even been selected yet. and same as my midweek long run on a Wednesday, just, um, it, it was so, it's so time consuming doing miles and doing endurance events and trying to balance that with work and it's dark and it's raining and cold and unpleasant. And there were certainly days where I was like, you know, what's, why, why are you doing this? But, um, yeah, it wasn't until my selection was confirmed that all that stuff sort of pales away in the background now, but yeah, those for, um, for a couple of months there sort of may june it was all sort of aiming for the best um but not not knowing for sure if i was going to be coming or not
0: yeah okay so um i guess it's it's quite tricky when when that happens and it's like it's it's a bit of a flaw in the in the system of of like selection and, and qualifying is that there's like a confusion and uh, like you can't really just commit to a race like you can in in the same way like we do a lot of triathlon chat here and, and you can sort of know 12 months ahead what kind of like races you might be doing uh you know for your following year you don't have to qualify for the big races per se um, so that can be a little tricky but how did you like how did you and your coach go about planning things then Were was your coach secretly like oh i'm just I'm just programming this as if you're racing world champs and, and, you know, having the conversations with you. Well, even if you do, or don't, don't end up getting selected that, do you think that the the entire program was like just secretly built all around the world champs or? Mm.
1: Yeah, it definitely was like, and he was, it wasn't a secret. We were definitely like, this is what we're doing. We're aiming for world champs. You've got a chance. Um, you're in the quota to be selected so let's aim let's let's train as if you are going mm. um but there were like my lead up races were really difficult to plan in that's in um because of that because i didn't it was um yeah just that not knowing it was difficult to plan around that but i ended up going up to the gold coast and doing the the 10k which was um, 2 weeks before the marathon so and that was about 10, maybe 10 days after I was selected so I was able to then lock that in um, and go up and do have a hit out up on the Gold Coast but in my mind because I was um, you know when I wasn't sure whether I was coming or not, I wanted to have sort of a, a plan b and something that i that I wanted to do that um, would have been would have been pretty cool and to use my fitness for something so I was actually thinking, If I didn't go to the world champs, I could have done um, the double up on the Gold Coast where they've got the half marathon on the Saturday now and the marathon on the Sunday. And like I wasn't aiming to do anything super, um, you know, necessarily run a PB. It was probably it was a couple of weeks too early, but I thought that could have been a good backup plan um, just to sort of um, keep my mind focused on the work that I was doing that it wasn't going to be for nothing. So that was kind of, you know, my plan B in the back of my mind.
0: And what kind of like, um, system do you guys use in your training? Are you sort of more the traditional Australian system, the, the mono, the mono system of the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday session, Sunday long run, or, or are you a more new age, uh, sort of training system where you, you know, you might do that sort of stuff for a period, but then when you're building into a marathon, you go more marathon specific. You maybe drop back a session and and do some longer, more more specific race pace sessions, and and still keep the long run. Or where, where do you guys fall into into that?
1: Yeah, we're definitely the old school um, mono style: uh, Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Saturday long run, Sunday um and that is that has been something that i've been doing for a number of years now but each preparation um you know it builds one builds on onto the next and so um that seems to be working for me at the moment we've we try like we've done some more marathon specific stuff um in each of the build-ups just sort of you know one session here or there but it's a um the the thinking is very much that it's the culmination of the program. Like you don't get fit to run a marathon um, in one session um, or a couple of sessions. It's the culmination of a week of training um, built on on top of each other week after week after week. And so that's the that's that works for me. But the um yeah, like the I'm a a, a Sunday runner up at Fernie Creek, and so um, Mona and um, Deek and Ron Clark and the TV and you know there's been that many runners over the years that have run at Fernie on a Sunday. and some of those oldies are still up there on a Sunday morning that that is like running at Fernie for me is a staple um, is a staple long run uh, in my week for sure.
0: Yeah, such an iconic spot. There's so many of those spots in Ballarat. Hey, like oh, I live in Ballarat and Lake Wendouree is just I don't know if there's a runner in Australia who's who hasn't run ar- around that track and so yeah, Creek Creek's definitely another one of those spots. Um with your with your long run, do you sort of progress that throughout your build or are you someone that because you've been doing a Sunday long run for so long now it you know, you can always keep that at a, at a pretty high high volume or or throughout your marathon build um, does it does it does it build and and get close to marathon distance at a certain point
1: yeah it doesn't like i would my standard sort of long run at fernie would be around two hours um or two hours and ten minutes so that's probably something that that has increased it used to be sort of two hours at fernie that's your long run that's your standard but now it's probably 210 which doesn't seem like much of a much of a difference but um, that's more of the standard time that I do at the moment. But I don't run, I don't really actually get close to running the distance, a marathon distance in training because my long run is in sort of in the hills. And so my, like I run, the longest run that I do in a marathon lead up is 2 hours and 35 minutes. And that's probably 34 kilometers, I think was the one that I did um, for this build up but it's because, yeah, there's, there's so many ups and downs, but if you can combine that long run and that strength building run in the Dandenongs with a couple of faster midweek runs, like on a Monday and a Wednesday, then whilst, um, you know, it's not, it's not running a marathon on each of those days, each, each of those runs play a role in being marathon fit. So, the faster ones are about yeah the the, um, the cadence and um, and banking some miles but the long run at Fernie is about the strength building and time on feet so um, yeah they're each training they each had a purpose um, and and the idea is that they come together that they're one of the ingredients that come together for a, for a good marathon
0: yeah so speaking of that, um was your weekly volume in the lead up to the world champs pretty similar every week or like how how did that progress over over your build into the race
1: yeah the um yeah it kind of probably got up to around uh maybe 155k i think was the biggest mileage week that i did i was um so the marathon that i did before was newcastle in april and i pulled up with a little bit of soreness in my Achilles and so I um, was sort of stuffing around a bit, trying to get it right, which cost me, instead of my marathon recovery being four weeks, it probably cost me six weeks. And so I didn't start my marathon build until about mid-May. And so I didn't really have the luxury of plateauing at any stage in this build-up. It was about um, building mileage each week. Um, to get my Sunday runs and my Wednesday runs up to where they needed to be. So it was it was a gradual build each week, really, for this, this preparation. I don't reckon there was any week, I don't reckon I plateaued at all. It was a, a gradual build and then we got to the taper time and then it's we started to back off um, a little bit. But ideally, that preparation would be longer and you'd get to a point where you could plateau in your mileage and just have a few weeks of consistency, um, but I, I just didn't have that time frame um, in this preparation. But one thing that I I have done different over the last couple of years um, has been that I don't I have a rest day, so I don't run on Fridays anymore. I might go for a walk, but I don't really make an effort to cross train um, on a Friday because. We've just, um, yeah, it's been, my body's needed it. I'm not quite as young as I used to be. And um, having that recovery day where, yeah, I'm just, I'm not running. I'm not putting my body through any stress, any physical stress. Um, It just, it just seems to be working. So I find the miles on the other days, but it really prioritized having that one day off um, a week. And we'll continue to do that
0: yeah well hundred and fifty five k in six days is actually that actually makes that a really big week like that's it's like 25 k a day isn't it for for everyone listening like that's um that's some that's still big volume isn't
1: it yeah yep and that is like I would be running twice on three of those days as well so when you've got a fernie run in there thirty plus k and then another um, yeah, that'd that'd be about right.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> you extrapolate that—that's like a 180k a week if you don't have that rest day, which is that's massive. That's pretty much as big as anyone's volume ever gets, really, outside of the East Africans doing yeah. 200 plus k's, which is yeah, that's huge. Um, yeah. So um, I, I guess inside that, what are your what are those sessions—the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sessions—actually like? Because you obviously still have quite a bit of volumes inside of those sessions to 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 be running that volume
1: yeah, and so, like I would always do um, so I'll, I'll s- start with a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, do like a five k warm up and a five k warm down um, and then one k efforts. and I would get up to like a standard would be five, one k efforts. sometimes it might be six, but usually um, five. and that and that's with um, one minute job recovery in between them. But that's a double day. So every day that I do a session, I do a double day. Um, And that's an 8K jog either in the morning or afternoon, depending on when I've done the session. Um, Thursday, standard quarters on the track. So um, it's either four, sorry, it's either 10, 400s or eight quarters. So depending on, they usually just alternate from week to week. Um, And again, 5K warm up, 5K warm down and then Saturday is slightly longer It's where i do my longer um reps and so again 5k warm up and then it might be some sort of interval training of um like 10k repeats 6 minute repeat uh, sorry 10 minute 10 repeats yeah. <laughs> i'm not doing 10k repeats
0: <laughs> i heard that i was um, like oh yeah i think she means 10 yeah.
1: minutes <laughs> <laughs> um it might be 6 minute repeats it might be um you know, some five minute or a combination of of those distances, and then occasionally we'll throw in a threshold on a Saturday as well, and then um, and then an eight k run um, at the other on the other end of the day. So, they're yeah, they're sort of that's what a standard week looks like of um, sessions for me.
0: Got a few questions about that. Um, with you doing so much intensity as well as volume, do you? Are you just a pretty injury resilient person, or or do you think there's things that you put in place to to not get injured? Has it just been like a progression throughout your career thing? Like I said in the intro, like God, you've been mm-hmm. around this sport forever. Um, it, it, do you do you put just that down to to the years in training and like slowly getting to this point, or or what's your secret to not getting injured with so much volume and intensity?
1: Um, I am so uh, like I've had a lot of injuries over the years, and that. Is it's been the last two years that I haven't had a running-related stress injury, hmm. but prior to that, I've had um, four, three, three stress reactions in my femur, femurs. One on one side, two on the other. Um, I've had a stress fracture in my tibia. Um, I had a Achilles surgery, a calcaneal ostectomy to cut off the back of my heel bone so that my Achilles would stop rubbing on it. Um, I've had a stress fracture in my 41 of the metatarsals. So it's been, and then last year I was on a run and was crossing the road and tripped over a coat hanger that was in the grass and tripped and fell and cracked my patella in half so it was completely like it wasn't displaced but it was completely cracked so that was um like one of those I just couldn't believe that that happened like it wasn't even a running wasn't even like I tripped over it wasn't even like a stress injury which I you know had to question what I was doing wrong for something like that to happen anyway so it's been I've, I've had a lot but I um have become sort of I suppose like not I don't maybe I'm not that good at it but like I have a a cross-training sort of schedule or routine which is a lot of power walking and cycling if the injury allows for that but I think the last couple of years um, has been the first time in maybe close to a decade that I've been really able to string together um, a good couple of years without sort of stress injuries um, and I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. I think it's the, um, the the strength of my body and just the building up gradually so that you're not overloading um, and increasing risk of, of injury or niggles um, by doing things out of the ordinary or too much too soon. So I think, like, my body has been doing this for years now, like you say, and so there's got to be some conditioning that comes with that. Um, I also think that as a female, it's really important to have like your hormones functioning the way that they should. And when I think back to a few years ago, mine were not at all like, um, you know, I wasn't getting my period for about four years for a a time there. And I think that definitely impacted uh, my bone strength. Um, But the other thing um, is like the strength and conditioning stuff that you can do. I th- you know, it's not my favourite thing to do at all, but it definitely plays a role in, um, you know, making sure the muscles that don't do a lot of work are still contributing something to support the ones that do. So that um, is important as well.
0: That, um, that coat hanger story is crazy. That's, uh, I've heard some bizarre injury stories. That That's right up there. So unlucky. Yeah. like All oh, the things <laughs> to trip on a coat hanger on the road.
1: I know and then I fell and I fell onto the road and like I got up and my leg was bleeding and my arm was bleeding and I was kind of like holding my, my arm and sobbing and just like you know <laughs> someone stop and help me but <laughs> I was crossing the road because there were no cars coming and then it started raining and it was just this like really sorry state. <laughs> <Nightmare>. <laughs> um,
0: oh, yeah. I, I reckon you raised uh, like a really interesting like to- topic of discussion there and that's like female health when you're training for endurance events. Something that that I actually really love talking about um, and like had Ali Pashley on for the second episode ever of this podcast and we dove dove deep on that a little bit. Um, And like you mentioning that you didn't get your your period for like four years running. I think this problem is like one of the most common problems with female endurance athletes. Um, Doesn't get talked about enough uh, is like how training done – incorrectly whether it be diet or or just the volume you're doing or whatever it is can can actually be really unhealthy and and lead to a whole host of issues whether it's like bone stress injuries whether it's eating disorders whether it's you know yeah your hormones are all over the place and and it it leads to everything Mm. in your life you know taking a a downward spiral um have you sort of have you experienced all of that over your career as a female long distance runner because i feel like most people Most females don't don't get out of the game without you know going through the highs and lows of of dealing with their own health while they while they run.
1: Yeah, it's a funny one because like I have always sort of been pretty body positive and like always really had a balanced diet. Like I just love eating and chocolate and sweets too much to go without that stuff. And so I never thought of myself as a candidate for um, bone or weak bones because you weren't consuming enough. Like I've never really been on the super lean side. Um, it's just, yeah, I never thought that, that, that I would be a candidate for that. But I think that I was. Like I think that I wasn't maybe getting the right sort of fuels in my body to make sure that my, that my bones were, um, were as strong as they needed to be. I also like struggled with iron deficiency. And I think that that had something to do with it as well. But like, you know, it was four years. It was, um, I I um, remember that I didn't have my period leading, in, leading into the Com Games in 2014. And I was like, great, like one less thing I have to worry about. But then it didn't come back until the end of 2017. I was like, and when I saw some doctors and um, in the meantime, I was kind of mentioned it to them like, haven't had my period for this long and they were like oh that's okay and I was kind of more asking like you know maybe I can never have children or, or something and um, they were like no it's nothing to worry about um, you, you know you'll be fine sort of thing and um, which on reflection kind of concerns me a little bit more because I think that maybe people don't know enough about the impact of not having your period when you're trying to be an athlete and yeah, the impact that it has on other systems in your body. So it was, um, yeah, like I said, I, I didn't really think that, um, I was a candidate for not having my period because I haven't been super lean. I've always eaten a lot of food. um, and, but then now when I look back on it, I think that that was definitely a factor that contributed to my bones having these um, stress reactions um, a lot because I've, like I said, I've got it back now and I haven't, um, I haven't, I have, I've had one bone stress um, um, injury since, which was in 20, 2019. That was my tibia. So, um, but like, you know, I hope that they're just getting stronger now. Like, that's the, um, yeah, it's all back to normal. And, and hopefully, yeah, my bones, are, my bones are strong, touch wood. Um, and, and yeah, maybe that stuff is behind me. But I think there's so much that still needs to be um, explored and researched and um, trialed in that space, because you're totally right. Like there probably wouldn't be a female runner getting around that hasn't has gone through being an endurance athlete, or any athlete really that hasn't been plagued by some sort of um, weight um, eating uh, kind of issues throughout their throughout their time.
0: Such a hard problem to fix too, because for as long as there's there's been endurance like athletes, there's there's been super skinny endurance athletes, and there's always you know talk about how much. Uh, weight can impact performance and and being lighter is glorified like you watch the tour de france right now and the guy who's won it like is literally probably 48 kilos and and so that's the same with female distance runners isn't it like you look at who wins the marathon they would weigh like they might even they might weigh like 30 something they're like so light some of them Mm -hmm. Um, so it's such a hard problem to to fix especially where where it pertains to people not at the elite level who are seeing it and thinking that's what they have to do to to get to to that level. So it's actually like um I love when I hear a, a female long distance athlete or, or to be honest even a male distance athlete probably probably even a bigger issue in uh, in male sport because it doesn't get talked about nearly enough um mm. who like yourself who who you know advocates for. For eating, eating enough, and 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 being body positive, and and not stressing about you know being the the skinniest person in in the room or on the start line.
1: Yeah, I think just like rocking up and being there, like um, having some some confidence and faith in the training that you've done is like a better is a better state than than rocking up hungry and um and and not having that confidence in your body. But you know, I'm a teacher as well, and and I sort of like to. Take my um, my well the the influence that I can have on young people with like I take that seriously and I think it's really important to to show that balance to um, to young people as well. So um, yeah, but it's a it's there's there's a lot of um, work to still be done in that space for sure.
0: Hey everyone, like always, I'm just going to take a quick minute break to thank the people who keep this show going, our best friend Patreon supporters. This week, I'm starting with Ian Lawyer. Ian is clearly a really good athlete. Um, He's had results that have qualified him for Kona, uh, or the Ironman World Championships, the Boston Marathon, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. Um, He's always decked out in elite tri-kits and has good shoe choices, in my opinion. Um, So even if he wasn't good, he he would still look the part. Uh, he also has a, a training room set up that I'm bloody jealous of and uh, thought about messaging about, but thought I'd just shout him out here. Uh, he loves a beer and he's got a bloody cute daughter who takes up at minimum 80 to 85% of his Instagram. Um, and like all of us, wishes that Iron Man would finally hire some decent commentators for the World Champs. Uh, Ian, he just seems like a good bloke that I'd love to catch up for a chat and a beer with and, you know, shoot the shit. So thanks heaps, Ian. I appreciate you more than you know. Uh, and then next up, we have Michael Turner. Michael might very well be the most supportive listener of the show out there. He offered me a place to stay if I wanted to go up to Cairns for the Ironman. We, we always chat training and life over on, on the how they train Instagram DMs. And he's just a bloke with more life experience than most people I know. Uh, Michael was a military man for 34 years, I think he said, which is pretty hard to wrap your head around, uh, including some overseas operations or long stints out at sea, which I, I can only imagine are a pretty wild time compared to my day-to-day life. Uh, Michael played footy. He loves triathlon and, and just loves to train and, and keep himself fit. He's one of the most positive and, and, and good people you'll come across. So yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, you already know how much your support means to me. I've told you before when you've messaged me, but doing it publicly here. So thanks so much uh, for, for signing up to Patreon, um, Ian and, and, and Michael. I, I love you for it and you're best friends of the show for life. Uh, if you also want to sign up for Patreon to support the show, uh, then just go to the link. It'll be in the description in, in this episode or over on the How They Train Instagram in the bio. Um, I really can't tell you how much it means to me and, and I can't wait to give every single person who signs up a shout out so you know just what it does mean to me. Uh, you literally, literally are the reason I can keep doing what I love uh, and pumping out more and more episodes for you guys. I'm also really appreciative of all the awesome messages and feedback about the Patreon exclusive episode this week of Jack, Beth and Reedy. I, I also really loved that chat. So yeah, I was, I was really happy to, to get all the, the positive feedback. Um, and I'm glad that the people who have signed up for Patreon have a, have a show that they now um, can enjoy every Wednesday. So yep, thanks heaps again. Um, like I said, the link is in the description of the podcast. Um, so if you want to sign up, means the world to me. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Sarah. And just to change tack, pretty much completely during your, your training week there um, you've obviously got the three sessions with some speed and, and some more sort of like threshold work you've got your long run your midweek long run you're doing some easy jogs in amongst that um, a, a common question I ask on this podcast and something I'm, I'm really uh, passionate about is what's your shoe rotation like what are you, what are your go-to training <laughs> shoes what are your what are your session shoes your faster shoes your threshold shoes what are your long- run shoes?
1: Yeah, I don't, like, I don't have a, I, I don't have a shoe sponsor, so I don't, like, have, I just have my, my standard. Um, Like, I'll do my Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday runs in Brooks Ghosts, so they're just, like, you know, the Kayano equivalent sort of thing, and they're just, you know, uh, stable, uh, good for miles uh, sort of shoe, On And I do wear them as well for my double runs as well. So for on a Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, um, I like to have a pair of New Balance 1080s and I will sometimes do like my Saturday uh, longer interval session or my 1K reps um, on a Tuesday in those um, 1080s. And then on a Thursday when I get on the track, well, kind of depends what flats I have in the back of my car. <laughs> 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 it's uh, all spikes. I I ran in spikes last um, track season for the first time in years because I'd had so many Achilles problems, and like I did that for a couple of months, and then my my feet had had enough of them, so I had to go back to flats. So I don't even. Um, I've got a pair of like they're really old Brooks that I would wear on the track um they're not spikes they're just sort of flats that you could wear for a 10k as well but I'm really like like I work a lot and so my running and shoe rotation has to be like it's all about convenience and so on a if I like if I'm going for a you know a tempo run or to do my um my 1k reps or whatever. I won't take my change of shoes with me. I will run in the shoes that I'm going to do my session in um, and then run back. And because I don't like to like wear out my good shoes on those runs, I usually tend to run in like heavy shoes or, um, you know, not my race shoes. So that's a um, it's about the effort. Like I don't sort of. Um, really get caught up in the times that I'm doing or whether it's windy or whether like a session was uphill or whatever it's about the, the effort um, and I like to save like the boost that a good pair of shoes gives you for race day um, and not to sort of become accustomed to having um, you know fancy shoes um, during the week because I like to save that kind of um yeah boost for for race day so i've i've mostly got sort of heavy shoes brooks Ghosts, um new balance 1080s um, and that's basically it i might have three pairs on the go at any one time maybe two pairs of ghosts and one pair of new new balance um, but that's sort of yeah it's not that glamorous <laughs>
0: And what, how did you go about, uh, it's it's awesome that you don't have a shoe sponsor. It makes this chat so much better than just like telling me that sock and shoes are best for me. Um, Mm -hmm. so where, how did you go about choosing your race day shoe? Like how many different super shoes have you tried in, in your lead up or in the last couple of years? And, and how did you figure out which one of them that you wanted to wear?
1: So I, um, got a pair of the, uh, I'm really bad with the I'll, names of them actually. I've got a pair of the the Nike I wore them in um um Melbourne Marathon last year in December. They were the blue ones. They're not the four percenters, they're like the version. Maybe is it the vapor
0: Vaporfly next percent you wore, I reckon, from memory. Okay. I was watching that day. I'm pretty sure you did. The light blue ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. vaporfly next percent.
1: So, yeah, they were my first super shoe, and I reckon I ran in them. I did a 10K tempo in them in the lead up. And thought these felt good. Let's go with them. I hadn't tried on any other super shoes. Um, they I got from just a Nike store, um, and and I went with them. And then I um, like I did a little bit of research, but I find it really hard to like I don't you know to go and find these shoes and to be able to try them on and to you know see what they're like. I find it really time consuming and. I don't have enough time to, to do that. And quite often, she, shops don't have the your shoe size and whatever. So I got those and ran in those. And then for Newcastle, my sister actually messaged me prior. She was at a Nike um, outlet and they were having 40% off and they had the, the 4%ers 4% there, the yellow ones. And um, she's like, they're on sale. Do you want me to get you some? I was like, yep, great. Get me those. Um, So I was planning on wearing those for a couple of runs in the lead up, like just in the week before um, Newcastle marathon, but I got COVID um, and only came out of isolation on the Thursday and then raced on the Sunday. So I didn't quite get to do those, the runs that I wanted to do in the lead up um, to that marathon. I only jogged on the Saturday before um, and then I raced in them on the, the following Sunday. So they, I remember putting them on on race morning and being like, oh, geez, who's a... <laughs> oh, no, well, it's too late now. You, you don't have anything else, so let's go with these. Um, and then I ran in those exact same shoes on the Sunday just been. so... Um, yeah, I quite like them, but I don't think I'll get another race out of them. Um, I think their race days are over, but they... Yeah, they they were good. The only other shoe that I've tried on um, and raced in was the Asics... Um, Speed I've got the, yeah, yeah. I, but I've got the Edge. Yeah. So, oh, you've got the Edge. Um, oh, yeah. 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 So, Asics, because they sponsored Gold Coast and they offered me a pair of shoes uh, to run in on the Gold Coast and I chose the Edge because they were sort of like the faster version and I didn't really like the other ones that I've got a sort of the more longer distance ones. So, I got the Edge and I like them. They were really good too. They were like I ran a PB there, so... Um, they were comfortable. they feel less dramatic than the Nike ones. Um, yeah, I like them.
0: Yeah, yeah you were wearing the alpha fly on the weekend hey and you I expected there to be way more alpha flies on the the start line than there actually was. It was actually a pretty vapor fly dominated field. I haven't got the numbers on that, but my eye told me that. Um, when you ran in the the light blue ones, the vapor fly versus the yellow ones, the alpha fly, the ones with the pods. Um, did you go like after Newcastle, did you go straight away? Yeah, like I'm wearing the Alpha Fly, or did you ever consider going back to the the other Nike shoe?
1: No, I like the I like the rigidity, if that's a word, of the yellow ones. They yeah. were um they felt firmer to me. And I that firmness in like in the last 10k or so of the race, I found more helpful. I think the blue ones for me are a bit more softer and felt a bit more comfortable um which is great but they um yeah i just i just like the yellow ones a little bit more in the later stages of the race
0: and and now I, i reckon we finally get here is is the race itself um a few questions like is that the best race you've you've ever had in your life
1: like it's a yeah probably actually maybe uh yeah just like just to put it out there probably yeah <laughs>
0: yeah um and and can you take us through the race a little bit like from from the morning through to when you crossed the finish line like how did how did it all play out and was there any interesting stories or or ups and downs throughout the race
1: yeah it was like yeah totally like a whole um I actually woke up in the morning um, because the food hall was supposed to be open like from 3 a.m. for the marathon runners. And so I went downstairs um, and it was all shut up because this is like 4.30 and it was all closed up. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I thought this was supposed to be open. And so I went back upstairs and grabbed my stuff and grabbed a muesli bar instead. And as I was walking out, I saw a sign on the wall saying that it was actually in the other dining hall and I was like oh crap because then I was on my way to get the shuttle so I had to race past there and grab some toast with jam and so that was one of those little details that um could have could have thrown me and I was sort of like you know it's okay just have the muesli bar that's fine sort of thing um but getting to the um yeah, it was all really cool because you're using the the University of Oregon's facilities, and so just these massive stadiums, and it's all um, yeah, there's, they're very impressive. But um, yeah, like the the race started, and my coach caught me just before the gun went, and he said just just be careful of that first kilometer. Um, because you just don't want to um, do something in the first k that's then going to come back and bite you at um, after 30 k. So I kind of sort of not I don't I don't think it was conservative, but I didn't get sucked into the um, just to that sort of quicker cadence over the first kilometer or so. But there was a group of girls um, just just in front, maybe 20 meters in front after a kilometer. And then over the next day or so, I um, was in that group. And we had a pack of, I don't know, I reckon it was maybe 10 athletes or so. And, um, yeah, we were together for probably 25 kilometres. And it was good. Like, we were sort of um, uh, changing up, uh, you know, people at the front. And you were able to sit behind different people or go to the front yourself and sort of, uh, yeah, just work in a pack, it was really nice. I don't really often get to run with that many runners going that same pace. So it was nice, it was, it was nice to to be able to do that. But there was um you know a bit of jostling out there as well. And um yeah, there was this one runner that kept because there were these speed bumps on the um along the course. And there was this one runner, a Chinese girl that was in the center of the pack who um was missing the speed bump signs or couldn't see them because she was in the center of the pack and she tripped on them (laughs) a couple of times actually which made a few girls laugh i think the third time that she did it because they were kind of like you need to look where you're going so anyway that was a little bit of entertainment but um yeah that first what I sort of realized as we were um going through the drink stations because Australia was um the first in line we didn't have any I think it's only Albania or whatever that might be before us but there were no runners um, for them so we were the first drink bottle station and so I was having to make sure I was at the front of the pack to get a clear run at my drink bottle um, and then get out of the way of the others coming through for their drink bottles and so I was kind of finding that every time we got to a drink bottle station, I would be at the front and then I'd move off to the side and then there would be a bit of, I don't know, I couldn't see, but I think maybe other runners were slowing down a little bit to get their bottles or having to go in and out of each other um, to get them. And so I was kind of finding I had a pretty smooth run through the drink bottle stations and was able to... um, sort of then relax a little bit on the other side while the others caught up again. And we formed our, formed our pack again. So that gave me sort of a little bit of relief that it was at the 25 K mark where I did that. And then there was no one around me. Like, and I kind of I think I sort of slowed down a little bit to sort of reform, but no one was there. And so I was like, all right, like I'm just going to keep going then. And so it was from twenty five through until maybe um, twenty nine or so that I then stretched the um, stretched the group out, and after a couple of kilometers of doing that, there was only two girls that um, came sort of with me and then got in front of me. That was it. there was a Canadian and a Bulgarian girl, and they actually got a little bit in front of me, um, but. I was then able to, yeah, pick up the the Bulgarian um, in the later part of the race, and then another runner from the lead pack that was coming back as well, and then um, and then and finish behind the Canadian girl. She ran a bit quicker than me, but um, yeah, for me the flat patch was kind of in from about thirty to thirty five k, and it was when the Canadian the Bulgarian got back in front of me and I was like oh no like have I made a have I made a a mistake here and just gone too soon um and there was not as many people around like other runners and I was running into the sun so I had the sun in my eyes and was just kind of you know um questioning myself a bit at that stage but when the Bulgarian started looking behind and I was as soon as I saw her do that um I thought I'm going to get you back now. And so I just started focusing on her and um, reeled her back in. Um, I had some support on the course and they were saying to me, like, you're in 17th at the moment, you know, go for top 16 sort of thing, um, which was not really what I wanted to hear at the time, but it was good information to know because I was just, um, yeah, just a thought of like keeping on. It was, it was hard. So anyway, so I was able to, um, yeah, pick back up, I reckon, from around 35K and start sort of feeling like I was in my running again a bit more. And then at 39, I kicked down again because there were a couple of girls sort of not far behind me at around 39, 40K. And, um, um, yeah, my sister was yelling out that people back at home were, were watching and staying up late and, you know, all their supporting and I was like, you know, you've got to, you've got to dig deep. And so, that last couple of kilometres was, um, yeah, I was able to pick it up a little bit. Not quite enough to go under two hours thirty, but um, yeah, running down that last sort of five hundred metres or so, I was. I was so buggered, and I was actually running and making a noise out loud as I was running. And I was thinking, geez, I'm glad the bloody crowd's really loud at the moment because I sound like I'm dying. What
0: was the noise?
1: It was just like a grunt kind of exhaustion. Like, I'm not going to do it. I
0: would love if you did it.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You'll just have to imagine. (laughs) Um.
0: Yeah, keep going, sorry.
1: Oh, yeah, and so just when I crossed the line, I was so ready to stop. I was, yeah, and I, I don't think in, and I still don't think it sort of all sunk in, but, um, yeah, to be able to run PB um, and on that stage and come 14th, I was, like, super proud of that. But I was also really happy, like, when I finished, there was a string of girls that were coming in behind me, and over, like, maybe over the next minute and a half or so, there was another five girls. And I'm, you know, like, I was really glad to be in the front of those girls and not behind, not behind them, obviously. But, yeah, it's just not a – I think for me that was the result of backing myself in the run. Like, I didn't need to settle for being 20th. Like, I backed myself and I actually came 14th. And I think that that was just a – like I was glad to be in the front of the next best and not like midway through or at the back of the next best.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Did you ever um, go back to the, the back yourself mantra that you had written on your hand? Are you are you the kind of person who during a marathon when things are good, when things are, are bad, you said before that, you know, the people were shouting at things maybe you didn't want to hear. Are you someone who is like a... like? Um, really uses their emotions to get the most out of them on race day? Do you have like, do you go to um, like family, friends, you know, do you think about your training Do you, or, or are you sort of the kind of person who just lets it all go and isn't really thinking too deeply while you're out there?
1: Yeah, I reckon I like I, I like to think that I'm quite rational when I'm out there. I like I think that I practice my thought processes in training as much as I do my running in training. And so like I find myself in physically hard positions when I'm in training and that's when I have to practice, you know, my positive thinking and, um, you know, the strategies and um, you know, sometimes it's distractions. Sometimes it's just like suck it up and keep going. Sometimes it's reminding yourself of like you know your goals or things that people have said to you or something that resonates. You know, a quote or whatever that resonates with you. I practice that stuff in training, um, and and consciously think you're going to be in this place in your mind when you're in a race as well so you need to be able to do it now because you're going to have to do it then and so like I try to so that practice I think helps me to respond to the negative thoughts and the doubt that you have on race day because I've practiced my response to those thoughts in training as much as I have the physical part of it but um yeah like I I I do like really believe in having some sort of mantra that you can go to um, sort of in the later stages of the race because you are fatigued and thinking is tiring and so to have a go-to message um, that resonates with you is is important like I think that's important and you know I didn't choose back yourself months ago you know this is your mantra this is what it's going to be it sort of it it connected to me these this, those conversations the themes that sort are of connected to me in the weeks in the lead up um and it was actually Matt Denny that said um back yourself he's a shot putter that's probably um maybe back yourself is one of the only things that we have in common but it resonated <laughs> and that is that for me I thought was that's a message that you need to give yourself in the later stages of the race um yeah that's that's what you need to say to yourself
0: and during the race, did you wear a watch, and were you focused on it? Like, did you have watch screens on, and 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 were you thinking about it, or were you just splitting like a stopwatch, or or what was your what was your move there?
1: Yeah, I did have a watch on, um, but I only looked at it. I only looked at my watch once, and that was after one kilometer, and I think it said three thirty two. I didn't need to look at it other um, again because there were clocks at each of the major markers. So we're at 5K, 10K, 15, 20. I looked at it at five, um, five and 10. And then the maths gets too hard for me after that. And so the only one beyond that that makes sense is the half. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and then and then the last time I was kind of thinking of the clock was in that last 3K or so because I was like, am I going to be able to break 230 here? And um, But even trying to do that maths, knowing that there's an extra 200 meters to add on, Tough. just all becomes very confusing. So <laughs> Yeah, that
0: deep in a marathon, that math is the hardest math you'll ever do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh,
0: did you negative or positive split?
1: I positive split by about twenty seconds.
0: Yeah. Did you did you guys have a plan leading into the race of, of this is how we wanna wanna race or did you did you just wanna get in into a group and see how it play, played out?
1: Well, it was kind of just more just see how it plays out like it wasn't even getting to a group. That was just really like convenient, but we we wanted to run around 331 332. So I think my average was about 332s. Um, and then and and just race it like it was a um, you know, I wasn't going out sort of with a pacemaker or a set pace. It was convenient that those uh, group of girls were all running sort of that pace and I was able to sit in and and we were able to work together, but then it was mostly just let's see how it unfolds and, and go from there. But, like, you've got to be, I, I was prepared to run by myself at, if I needed to um at various stages like i didn't want to do that but i wouldn't have gone out in you know 73 halfway pace just to stay with a group i would have gone slower than that and then tried to finish um stronger in the second half so i've I've still i was prepared to do that if i had to but i didn't have to um for at least 25k so that was good
0: this has been an awesome chat and i've just got two more questions for you sarah um what what now? Where where is your future going to go from here?
1: That's a good question. Um, like I just, it's going to be um, like I'm not stopping. <laughs> I know that. Um, I will probably not do another marathon until early next year, um, and and maybe just do some domestic races over between now and the end of this year. Um, I feel like I've recovered pretty good. Like my body is a bit sore, but I don't sort of feel like I have any issues um, uh, post this marathon. So we'll just take a few weeks just to um, take it easy and relax and recover and um, catch up on some of the work that I'm missing at the moment. But um, yeah, I reckon some domestic races, maybe Melbourne um, Melbourne half marathon, um, Sunshine Coast half marathon, which is not super far away. Um, and yeah maybe puffing Billy like a couple of those fun sort of events um, and then we'll look at a marathon for for early next year um, and work that in t- around work and and um, yeah and other other teams that I might be trying to make um, and look at for for next year
0: that your answer just takes me perfectly to what my my last question was going to be um, and, and it was the only question I sort of thought about, uh, leading into this chat I'm like oh, I definitely want to know what Sarah thinks about this um, and I mentioned in the in- intro that I think your name uh, gets lost a little bit in in the golden age of female marathon running where we've got here in Australia um, if you were to line up if there if there was somehow in a you know an Olympic marathon trials like they do in America and you were lining up against Sinead and Ali and Lisa Waitman and Jess and Millie Clark and Every every one of the girls involved in the in the golden age we're going through. Would you be more confident now in that race after the performance uh, this week, or or is that not changed? And and how do you think you'd fare in a in a race against those girls?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Like it'd be kind of really cool to for us all to go head to head because it's something that Australian marathon running just doesn't do because we like we didn't have trials. Um, so it just doesn't happen, but I, that'd be a really cool thing, um, to do. I, uh, like, I think I would approach it the same, like, i I'd, I'd love to line up and, and do that and go head to head. Like that's a, there's no arguing with that. It is it, the result is the result. Um, but I, um, yeah, I think I'd approach it sort of the same way that I approached this last race where you just kind of. Have the confidence in the work that you've done, um, and know that when you put your foot on a line for a marathon or any race, um, for that matter, um, anything can happen. And you just have to control what you can control, um, and do the best that you can do, and um, and let the you know let it sort of unfold. But like I am a competitor and would love to um yeah I'd love to do something like that but as you say like the women are running so well at the moment and there's there's minutes between me and those that are running their best and I like I hope that I can uh find you know I hope that my my fastest is still ahead of me but the the um the era that we're in is getting the best out of everyone and that's like even though I might not be the fastest I'm getting the best out of myself because of it so it's a really it's a really cool thing to be part of and it's a really good thing for for running in the country and and women's running in the country so yeah it's good it's good times
0: yeah it would be so awesome if like a gold coast or a melbourne or something like that would just be like fuck it for one year we're paying all these girls whatever it takes to get them on the start line and just let it happen cuz i feel like if it doesn't happen, it's just such a missed opportunity. Like everyone who, who is a fan of uh, endurance sport and, and long distance running in Australia would love to see that. So
1: I would, it would be awesome. Like, you know, I don't know who, what who your connections are, but <laughs> I'm well, pro that idea. Yeah, We should start
0: a petition. I've never started a petition, but that would be one I, I would get on board on. Uh, very good yeah like i said thanks heaps for the the chat sarah uh i'm a huge fan only became more of a fan after watching you this week um and and this was such a good chat i um i learned a lot and and yeah can't thank you enough for your time and and can't wait to uh follow where you go from here
1: yeah, great. Thanks so much for, for the chat and for your support.
0: My pleasure. Have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your trip over there. Uh, for, for those people who can't see this, uh, Sarah is in like a hostel room um, and it's uh, it's the glamour life, isn't it?
1: Uh, it's the opposite to glamour life, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can
1: touch both walls around me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah. Have a, have a good day. I'll, uh, I'll chat to you later.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Bye.